Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We profess your, your authority, your power, and your glory. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're beginning and end. You're the Alpha and Omega. We proclaim you as Father, as God, as King, as Lord. And you sent your Son to be our Savior. And we can't thank you enough for that, Lord. We love you so much. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you for the, the opportunity to be here as a family, as children of your kingdom, to worship you and proclaim and profess you. We thank you for absolutely everything, Lord Christ. We say these things in your Son's precious and holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, church. Morning. Glad to see everybody here. We've got a special guest, a uh, second week in a row. Uh, Pastor David Vestal and his lovely wife Dana are here with us. Uh, it's a great message. So uh, we ask for spiritual ears to hear and eyes to see because this is a good one, and we can't thank him enough for being here. So... Pastor David Vestal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. Love you, man. Thanks. Everybody doing good? Moses is having a conversation with Jesus, and uh, he's basically with God, and he's basically saying, God, I've seen what you can do. I've seen the, the miracles. I've seen the parting of the Red Sea. I've seen the burning bush. I've seen what you can do, but I want to know who you are. And he says, I want you to show me your glory, meaning I want to see the very best thing about you. And God basically says, if you want to know my glory, then I'm going to have to let my goodness pass by you. So in other words, the greatest attribute that God has is his goodness. And his goodness is running after us. Amen. Isn't that a good song? I mean, God's just good. He's just a great God. And I'm I thank you for allowing me to be back here with you guys. Uh, Pastor Eric, Pastor Christy got back okay. Thought we would give him a day off and let him rest, and he showed up for church this morning. So I don't know. But uh, he loves you, and I love him. And uh, I want to talk about a couple of kings this morning. Um, first of all, my lovely bride, I know he, he, uh, you said something about her, but Dana, would you stand up and let them see your beautiful face? Thank you. We're going on 37 years of marriage. Um, yeah, she's put up with me that long. And I'm on a year-to-year contract right now, so pray for me that I get upped in December again. Uh, but I am, I am extremely blessed, man, to be married to that woman. I have no idea what sin in her life is that she had to be married to me, but that's none of my business, right? Uh, we have our, our first grandson. I think I've told you about him before. He's two years old now. Amen. Grandparents in the house? Yeah, yeah. We always say if we knew it was going to be that much fun, we'd have had them first, right? Yeah. But when you have a, a grandchild, it, it, it causes you to kind of reminisce a little bit uh, about how you were raised and how you raised your kids. And I, and I started thinking about some of the things that, that uh, my parents and my grandparents did with me and with us. And it, it, it made me think of the nursery rhymes that we used to sing over our kids. Y'all ever heard those words? I mean, we need, a, we need a counseling fund to be able to get over some of these, these nursery rhymes that they sang over us. There once was a woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do, so she fed them broth, and she fed them bread, and then she whipped them real good, and she put them to bed. Why did they get a whooping, right? 
now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die, but hold on, am I going to die tonight? What? Why would we say that over our children? They go to bed thinking, I may die tonight. I don't know. Maybe I should stay up all night long, right? The, one of the craziest ones, rockabye baby. Where? In a treetop. Why you put a baby in a treetop? No idea. Rockabye baby in a treetop. When the wind blows, now we've got a windstorm, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the tree just broke. And down will come baby cradle. Good night, sweetheart. Why would we do that to our children? It's just crazy. But my, my favorite one was Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, help me with it, couldn't put Humpty back together again. So I get in and I, and I, I think about that sometimes. So Mr. Dumpty had a great fall, which means he fell from a really high perch. Right? So he's up there looking out over his kingdom, thinking life is really good, and he falls and crashes and goes into how many pieces? And then he goes to all the king's horses and he goes to all the king's men to try to put him back together again, much like we do. We go to all the counselors, we go to all the psychiatrists, psychologists, we get the best help books, we do the best that we can, we're going to all the king's horses and we're going to all the king's men, but they couldn't put Humpty back together again. It wasn't the king's horses that he needed, it wasn't the king's men that he needed, it was the king himself. And so let us get to the king and let him put us back together again. Amen? I want to talk to you this morning about Psalm 23. Uh, everyone knows it. I'm sure we as pastors have butchered it numerous times, used it in, in funerals and different things like this. But in this, this one right here, if you'll indulge me for a minute, give me a little bit of your time and see if God maybe show you something else in here. Would you do that for me? Let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every heart and soul that's represented in here right now. Lord, I just say thank you for bringing me here at this moment, Lord, in spite of my frailties and my, my failures and my sin. God, would you use me to preach your word to your people? Our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hands are open to receive, to see, and to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, most of you guys know when we're looking at the Psalms in the Bible, the Psalms are actually songs, right? S-O-N-G-S. You guys realize that? So typically, you don't write a song to be, for it to be read. You write a song for it to be heard or for it to be sung. And so this is one of the songs that David wrote, and it's a song about his life and his journey with God. And when he writes this, he's old age. He's coming near the end of his ministry. So these are the words of an old man that's wise by nature with experience. And I think we would be wise to be able to listen to see what God has for us in this process. Because it's a journey. Our life with God is a journey. Sometimes we're on highways with smooth roads, right? Sometimes we're on back roads with traffic lights and stop signs and rude drivers. Sometimes we're, we're down a dirt road and it's really bumpy. But a journey that we go on and that in that process, life happens. And he shares all of this in this song. He starts off with language that, that he would have started off with when he was young. Because he was a shepherd. You guys realize that? Yeah. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now listen to me. If you ever figured that out right there. If you could ever figure it out that he is your shepherd. 
you shall not want, your life would be radically changed. I mean, we could preach for a year on that right there, that he is your provider. He is your protector. He is the one that gives you a place at the table. He is the everything in your life. And as long as he's the everything in your life, you'll never want for anything. I'm already preaching better than your amen. And so here we go. Come on now. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But there are times when he makes me to lie down. Can I get an amen? There are times when he says, no, you need to rest. And it's like he puts his hand on your chest and you just like, whether it's a job that you lost, whether it's a health issue, whether it's whatever it is that all of a sudden he just says, I need you to stop and rest. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. And the reason he has to make me is because I don't want to lie down. I got places to go. I got people to meet. I got things to do. You know, it's like, God, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for all this little lying down stuff. You know, we got to roll. We got to go. We got a kingdom to, to conquer. And all. he says, no, just be still. And in that stillness, you will learn who I am in you. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There are times where he makes me to lie down, but it's only after I decide, okay, or he pushes me down that I discover that it's green pastures. He makes me to lie down, but he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And when we finally fall back and we slow down, we slow our brain down. Have you ever laid in like a a field of clover or a meadow of clover? How, How just cooling it is. And you're looking up at the sky and you see the clouds and it's like, okay, I, my soul is getting fed here for a little while. I like this. And so he's, he's pushed us. He's stopped us. He says, I want you to lie down. I want you to get some rest here. Okay, that's enough. Get up. <laughs> he leads me then. He says, get up, David. Get up. Then he leads me beside still waters. Yeah. Let's, let's take a walk for a little while. He's talking about a journey in his life. You think David had places in his life where he needed to walk by still waters so that he could be restored. Amen. He leads me beside these still waters, but it's not just a journey we're on. He's taking me to these waters because in these waters is the restoration that I need for my life. And last week we talked about bringing your past, bringing your hurts, bringing your wounds, bringing your shame and leaving it at the cross. But after you leave it at the cross, he's got more he wants to do with you. So he's saying, get up, come with me. I want to restore what the enemy has taken away from you. I want to restore what this world has been doing to you for the last 20 years. I am the restoration. I am the one that can do this. Follow me. Get in these waters. Be still. Know that I'm God. And watch me begin to restore what's going on in your life. A lot of you walked in this room this morning and you're you're dry. You're broken. You're brittle. And you're just like, I just need a fresh touch from God. I just need my, my soul to be quenched once again, and he is the one that can restore that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Then he says, get up, and he leads me beside still waters so that he can restore my soul. And after the restoration takes place in David's life, and you know he had to get restored. I mean, there were a lot of things that went on in his life there. But after that, he says this, then he leads me down a path of righteousness, say righteousness, of righteousness for, for, for whose name? For his name's sake. Oh, hold on a minute. He's leading me down a path of righteousness that's not about me? 
You mean he's asking me to follow down a path that, that's all about him? You mean I don't get a say in this, God? He's saying, you come with me. If you want to take a next step in your life and my relationship with you, then you have to step in and follow me, and you are right. It's not going to be about you. And so at that moment, you have to make a decision, right? This was the decision point in Paul's life when he says, I have died. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I must decrease so that he can increase. But it's very uncomfortable because you've never been down this place. Your whole entire life has been about you. We are a selfish people. I promise you, we are. Go take a group photo with somebody. And then they show you the photo. Who's the first person you look for? Come on. And if you don't look good, the whole photo's bad. We've got to start all over again, right? We are selfish people. I'm telling you. But see, there comes a point in our life in this maturation process with, with God where we, we get to a, a place in our life where we say, you know what, God? My life is, is, is just, I, I want you in the center of everything that I do. Doesn't that sound good? I want you in the center of my job. I want you in the center of my finances. I want you in the center of my marriage. I want you in the center of my family. I want you in the center of everything that I do, God. And that is a good place to be. But I'm not talking about getting there. Because right after that, there comes a time where you go, you know what, God? Forget all of that and just take me and put me in the center of your life. Are you tracking with that now? This is the point where I go, it's not about me any longer, God. It's all about you. And so David makes the decision that he's going to start walking down this pathway of righteousness for his name's sake. There's a place that we make a decision in our life on a regular basis. God, I've been here for a while, and I feel like you're calling me up to the next level. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm ready to go, and I'll take that step of faith. And God's calling many of you to do that. Restoration takes place so that he can then lead you down that path of righteousness because that is the will of God in your life. This is good stuff. David starts talking about this. And then right after that, he says, let me describe it to you. Let me describe what it means to walk down a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk down this valley, down this path of the valley of death, the shadow of death, he's describing, I'm dying here. Right? That's what he's saying. I am dying down this process right here, which is what we know the Apostle Paul was talking about. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and by the way, you can't have a shadow without sunlight. And so he's saying, I'm going down this path, but man, everything in me is dying because I don't, I don't see my trophies. I don't have my cheerleading team about me, and I don't see my newspaper clippings. And it's almost like I don't even exist. And God's going, you exist, but you exist as my son, so come. Yeah. And David makes a decision to give up his life and follow Christ. Now, get this. You have to get this. This is one of the best things in this song, all right? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is he talking about? God. He makes me to lie down. Who is he talking about? God. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down a path of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, now get this, he's been talking about God. Do you get it? And all of a sudden, everything switches, and he stops talking about God, and he starts talking to God. (laughs) You didn't get it. Oh, that was such a good point. (laughs) That was such a good point. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. From this point on, it's you and me, God. I see your staff. I see your rod. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Lord, let us be found talking more to you. 
than we are about you. Let me be found, God, talking more to you than I am about you. But I've made this decision, David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everything inside me feels like it's dying. It's, everything that I was is being stripped away. And all of a sudden, God, you're coming in. And so I'm not going to fear because I see your rod that you count me with. I see your staff that you can rescue me with. And I am going to live my life for your glory. Now get this. Right after David makes this decision, because right after we make a decision that we're going to say, okay, I'm stepping out, God. It's all about you. He says, stop everything. We're having a picnic. And he prepares a table for whom? He prepares a table for me in the presence of all those idiots that don't like me. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought it was going to be all about him. This is good, guys. This is good. This is good. The moment you decide that your life is going to be all about Him will be the moment that you find out that His life is all about you. And He says, I'm just going to prepare a table here now for you and me, and we're going to have dinner together, and it's going to be a great table. In fact, it's for me. So everything I like is on this table right here. Think about it. So I walk up to the table and I start looking and glory to God, there's a big bowl of queso right there. Just give me a straw. I love that. And then there's a big, big pot of bluebell ice cream. Oh my goodness. Yes. There's, there's all kinds of stuff over here that I love. And then I look a little closer and there's this big, huge bowl of forgiveness. There's a bowl of love. There's a bowl of acceptance. There's a bowl of mercy. And he says, all of it's yours. It's all yours under one condition. He pulls the chair back and he says, you got to come to the table and sit down. You got to the, make the decision that I'm going to come sit down at that table. When everything inside of you says you're not worthy to be there. All your enemies behind you are telling you, I know him. I know, I know what she did. I know what he did. He didn't deserve to be there. Guilty as charged. I don't deserve to be there. But the king is holding my chair and saying, come sit. You have to come to the table and partake. And sometimes we feel like we're just so, we're so dirty. We, we've done so many things that we don't, we don't deserve to be there. And, and we don't ever step into that moment where God's saying, this is all for you. Years ago, we had a dog show up in our front yard. And when I say this dog was ugly, I'm, I'm using a capital U. This dog was ugly. I mean, just wet, you know, mangy. And obviously somebody had just dropped it off because they didn't want it. It finds its way into my front yard and my kids start trying to get it. And what do the kids say? Daddy, can we keep it? And I'm looking at this dog saying, there's no way in the world I'm letting this dog in my house. I said, but if you can get him in the house, we'll give him a bath. We'll try to find out who, who it belongs to and we'll, we'll take care of it. So they said, great. They start throwing food out in the front yard, and the dog would run out and catch it and then run away. Very skittish dog. So then they start throwing food on the, on the sidewalk. Dog comes and gets the food and runs off. Then they throw it on the front porch, and he's, he's, slowing, he's slowing down now. He's kind of inching up to it, and he reaches, he grabs it, and then takes off running. So the next piece they put inside the threshold of the door. And watching this dog was very interesting. Because he would take two or three steps towards the door, and then he would stop, take a couple of steps back. And he would look from side to side. See, what he was doing was saying, 
I, I know if I get into trouble, I can go over here and hide. And if, if storms come, I can get out of the way over here. I know what's out here, but I don't know what's in there. And it sure looks, it, it sure looks appealing, but I don't know if I... See, he didn't realize if he could ever come in there, he's going to have a bath. He's going to be sleeping in one of our beds in the house. He's going to have the best life he's ever had in his life, but he would never step in. And I wondered how many of us are right there. We know where our life is now. We can, we can, we can hold it. We can handle it. But to, to take that next step of faith in what God's calling me to do, is he going to send me to China as a missionary? I don't know. You know, so maybe, maybe I don't do it. But the reality is if you'll step in, yeah. oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Come to this table. Sit down. It's all for you. But listen to me. All of this is yours. It didn't come cheap, by the way, but you get it for free. It didn't come cheap. It was paid for. Have you ever, you ever bought a dinner for someone and they didn't eat it? How'd that make you feel? You just kind of want to go up and slap them, right? I mean, it's like, come on. I, I, just, I just forked out a lot of money and you didn't, you didn't eat at all. It's been paid for. My wife and I were married for, I think, about a year, and I don't remember what I did, but I must have did something really bad because when, we, when you, you take your, your, your wife to the restaurant that, that's, that equals the fracture that you did, right? So if I did something kind of dumb, we go to McDonald's, right? If I did something really dumb, we, but, so whatever it was, I had to go to like the top restaurant in town. So it was like, okay, I've been really stupid. We got to go there, all right? That's what we do. So we walk in, and this is like this is like the top place in the area, top steakhouse. And we go in, and boy, it's really fancy, you know. And we're we're walking, making our way to the table, and the the, the waiter comes, and he he gives us the menus, and I open up the menu, and I look at it, and I went, oh God, <laughs> it is expensive. And so I said, honey. Do you like this restaurant? She goes, I love it. This is amazing. I said, well, good, babe, because we're going to have water and salad. It's going to be the best water you've ever had, but we're going to have water and salad. And waiter comes back. He says, have you all made up your mind? And I said, yes, sir. Both of us are going to have water, but we're feeling kind of fancy. So put a lemon in it for us, and we're going we're gonna to do that, and then we're going to follow it up by one of your great salads. He kind of looks at me awkward and walks away. He comes back in just a few minutes. He says, sir, you do realize that your entire meal, somebody's already paid for it. What would you do? Come on now, what would you do? I said, bring me back that menu because I want to know if somebody's paid for it, I want to get everything, right? If somebody's already paid for it, bring, bring it all. I want all the desserts. I want everything that I can get because somebody has paid for it, and I don't want it to go to waste, and I want to say thank you by engulfing one of those amazing steaks. It has been paid for. The table is yours. It didn't come cheap, but it's free to you because at the appointed time, God the Father gave the nod to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got up off of his heavenly throne. He took off his kingly robe to humble himself. He entered this world through the birth canal of a virgin into the calloused hands of a carpenter and lived a perfect life for you and I until he died on the cross for our sins. And that's not the end of the story because after the death, they placed him in a tomb and then the stone rolled away and he came bursting out for our salvation. He paid for it all. Come sit. 
come sit. And so sheepishly, finally, you know, I come, I sit down, the king takes his place at the head of the table, and I'm like, gosh, well, first thing I'm going to get some of that blue belt, because that really looks good. And I start thinking, but you know, I really need that forgiveness. I'm an idiot. So give me some of that forgiveness. Give me some of that mercy, just a little bit. I mean, and give me some of that. Gr- and then I start realizing that every time I take something out of one of the bowls, the bowls just fill up again. Yeah. Because it's not that Jesus has forgiveness or that he has mercy or that he has love or that he has acceptance. He is mercy. He is love. He is acceptance and he will never run out of who he is. So you're never going to run out. You might get tired of asking for forgiveness, but he doesn't get tired of hearing it. I don't care how many times you mess up. He says, please come and partake of the forgiveness. I paid for it with my own blood. Don't, don't ever think that you're not good enough. So, so we're here and we're, we're thinking, okay, well then give me a lot of it. I take that forgiveness bowl and I just dump it all over my head. You know, I want everything that I have. And then in the middle of me finally enjoying this meal, the king gets up from the head of the table. He walks over and he places his hands on my shoulders and he says, this is my beloved's child in who I am well pleased. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over in the presence of my enemies. He's announcing, this is my child. I love him. I'm so grateful that he's here. I'm so grateful that she is here. She's part of the family. And all those people back there now wish they could be part of the family. And so he's sitting there. He anoints my head with oil and my cup begins to run over with the goodness of God. And I don't know about you guys, but the the, the times in my life when I've been broken the most is when God did something for me and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I didn't deserve that. And it just should cause you to fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, I do not deserve that. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over and he takes his place. And David's sitting here and he's looking at all of this. And he says, you'll never run out of who you are. Surely, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. So you know what? I think I'll make a decision right here that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the best place for me to be for the rest of my life. Oh, to think that early on he had to make me to lie down. (laughs) But in his old age, David is saying to us, this is where you want to be. Mercy Goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And if you'll make a decision to come and dwell in his house, that's where you'll want to be for the rest of your life. That's where you get the restoration. That's where you get the next step in your life. That's where you get the food that you need. When you're weak, come to the table and let him restore your strength. David says it this way, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you, you're in here and you haven't had joy in a long time. You've just been walking through kind of a numb scenario with your life, maybe with your marriage, maybe with your friends, your job. And God has no desire for us to walk through life numb. He's waiting to do something for us. He's such a good God. Years ago, when Arnold Palmer was still playing golf, um, the king of Saudi Arabia contacted him and said, would you come over to Saudi Arabia and play golf with me and my subjects for three days and just kind of do an exhibition thing? And he agreed. 
So the king sends his jet, flies him over to Saudi Arabia. Arnold Palmer plays golf with his subjects for three days. Great time. At the end of it, the king is going to send him back home on his jet. And he says, before you go, I want to say thank you. And I want to give you something. What would you like? What, what would you want as a gift? Mr. Palmer says, you don't have to give me a gift. You've already been so good to me already. There's, there's nothing that you could give me. I, I'm, I'm blessed. King says, no, I insist. I must give you a gift to say thank you for your sacrifice. He says, okay, well, give me, give me a golf club. King says, done. So now... I want you to play, role play with me for a minute. The king of Saudi Arabia is going to give you a golf club. What is that going to look like? Solid gold. I heard that. The shaft is solid gold. Maybe it's got pearls or diamonds around the head of it. Dream with me. Come on. And, and maybe the king's signet in it right there. Maybe your name is itched in gold. It's going to be nice. Would you agree? And, and so it's not one of those that you're going to put in your golf bag and use, men. Or ladies, you're going to hang it over your mantle if your wife will let you, and that, that's where it's going to be. So he, he's kind of a little excited about getting a golf club from the king of Saudi Arabia. And so he's been waiting. A couple weeks go by, nothing. A month goes by, nothing. Six weeks go by, nothing. He's thinking, well, he, he forgot. And that's fine with me. He's such a busy guy. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm blessed. I don't need it. After two months comes by, and somebody shows up at his door with, with a certified letter. He opens a letter, and it's from the king of Saudi Arabia, and he's given him a deed of ownership to a golf club. Some of you are getting it. A deed of ownership to a golf club. 18 holes, swimming pool, tennis courts, pro shop. Everything that you would ever have, restaurant, all of this in this golf club. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Kings don't think the way we think. You couldn't have dreamed that up when I asked you. Now him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, far beyond what you could ever dream up. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's asking you, come take a step and trust me. I have things to do with you, for you. We have things that we're going to do together that you cannot even fathom right now. Amen. It's going to be so glorious. Come on. Hallelujah. Surely. <laughs> oh, what a resting place. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You see, it, it takes a moment like this in one of these messages for you to make a decision. Will I turn? Will I let God take me into these waters of restoration? Will I let him put me on the path that's all about him? You're dealing with your stuff from the past. We started that process last week. Now this week, it's like let God give you back hundredfold what the enemy has taken away. Let him restore the joy of your salvation. You know, let him be the, his joy be the strength of your life. But you got to come. And when you turn and you start moving towards God, he will move heaven and earth to get you. He's not, he's not just sitting back going, I'll see if he shows up. No, he's, he's not doing that. Remember the prodigal son? What did the father do? He ran after him. His goodness is running after us. 
Any of you guys ever heard of the Promise Keepers movement? Raise your hand. Quite a few of you have. It was a men's movement. Uh, quite a, probably 10 or 15 years ago, it, it, uh, I think it concluded. There may be some pockets of it now. But one of the last meetings they had was when in Saudi, or in Saudi Arabia, in Washington, D.C. And they estimated 1.2 million people came to the Promise Keepers in Washington, D.C. 1.2 million men. Okay? So there was a group from Chicago, and they were going to this thing. But they said, you know what? We don't want to just attend a conference. We want to go and be used for the glory of God while we're there. We don't want to just receive. We want to give. And Washington, D.C. has one of the biggest homeless populations in the United States. So they thought, well, maybe we could help minister to some homeless folks while we're there. They get there first day. They're heading towards the conference to where the meeting is going to take place. They're walking down the street. They actually see a homeless guy leaned up against the building sitting on the sidewalk. So they walk up to him and they go, sir, we're going to this meeting. We would really like for you to go with us. If you do, we'll get you some food. We'll get you some clothes. We'll even give you a place to stay for a week. Homeless guy says, absolutely, I'll do that. Sure. So he goes with them. Sure enough, the first night, the gospel has been presented, and he asked Jesus to come into his life. Now, that's a pretty good story. But as soon as he did that, something inside of him began to be drawn, began to be drawn towards God. So he turns around to the guys from Chicago and says, hey, I want to go home. And they're like, well, where, where is home? He said, man, it's just a small town outside of Mobile, Alabama, but that's where I'm from, and I want to go back there. I want to rekindle. I want to restore the things that I've lost once again. 1.2 million men. These cats from Chicago, they say, well, man, maybe we could find somebody from, from Alabama while we're here. I mean, there's a lot of people. I don't know how we would f- discover that. But on the next break, they're walking down the corridor. I'm telling you the truth. And there's a group of men walking towards them. And they have T-shirts on that say, we're from Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So they walk up to him. They say, hey, are you guys from Alabama? They look at their T-shirt. Yeah, we're from Alabama. Absolutely. They say, hey, this is our friend here. He just got saved, and he wants to go home. He wants to go back to his family. So they said, well, where do you live? He said, it's just a small, small town, you know, population of two or 3,000 over here right by Mobile, Alabama. And he tells them the name of the town. <laughs> you guessed it. 1.2 million people and they're from the same town that he's from and then all of a sudden one of the guys from Alabama says this wait a minute what did you say your name was he tells them their name he says sir your son is with us he's been praying that he would find you while we were here 1.2 million people cannot stop God from coming after you when you turn your life towards him and you make that moment of collision when the two of you come together for his righteousness and he throws a party for you and he has things for you that you know not of, you can't even dream up. Let's all stand if you would. I want to give you an opportunity just to respond to this. The prayer teams are going to be up here. They're coming forward right now. First of all, let me say, if any of you are in the room right now and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, today's your day. 
Maybe you've never heard the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's died for your sins and he rose again for your salvation. I mean, he can save you. He can change you. He's the only one that can do that. And if that's you, you just come up here, just take one of these people by the hand. You don't need to know what to say or how to pray. Just tell them, I need Jesus, and they'll, they'll lead you in that process. But maybe you're here and you've been away for a while. And it's like, David, I want, I want to go home. Or... I've just been stuck in a rut and it's time for me to take that next step, God, with you. It's time for me to trust you in that next step. Whatever that might be. You know, it's like I need, I need restoration. I need to take that next step. What we're going to do is we're going to open up this front right here and there's nothing magical about it, but when you come, you, you make a public declaration and you can come and just kneel right here and say, God, I need restoration in my life. Will you begin to restore unto me the joy of your salvation? Would you, would you bring back what the enemy has taken away? So you can come right now. You can kneel down here. If you need someone to pray for you, these folks are off to the side. They're going to pray for you. But come on right now. We're going to do some worship for a little while. And I want the Holy Spirit just to begin to minister to you about this. Where are you in your relationship with God? And what does that next step look like? Please respond to him. You don't have to leave the same way you came in. Come on.